0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk.
1: Now, we'll be digesting and dissecting and doing all sorts of things uh, in relation to the economy and the environment in a few minutes, but let me get you through the headlines. Be aware, lots of crinkling paper sounds to come up here, okay? There's no other way to do it. We actually get print editions in here. Yes, real-life print editions. Uh, The Sunday Times, farmers face 28% target on carbon cuts. So hold that thought with the 28%. We then go to Sunday Independent, where we've got cuts in carbon emissions in the agriculture sector by 22%. And then if we go to the Sunday Business Post or the Business Post, We're looking at cuts of 24%. So (laughs) take your pick, pick a number. It's like a lucky draw here. But let me bring up today on some of the other stories we have. Ireland boss tackles Micah problems in the high court. The boss being Stephen Kenny, Ireland's football manager. He has apparently launched a high court action after finding Micah in a house he owns in County Donegal. Um, Some nice pictures from the World Championships on the front. Uh, Kelly Conway is making a comeback in the photographic department on the front of the Sunday Times. Talk about her time in the Trump administration let's go back again as did Sunday Independent they have Charlie McConnellogue supporting the cuts of 22% Larry Murphy I killed says Garda File very distressing story about uh, what might have happened to Deirdre Jacob and who may have been responsible for that story by Maeve Sheehan saying that a second prisoner has claimed that Larry Murphy admitted to killing hiding places in the Dublin mountains and said that Gardaí did not have a clue and would never find his DNA because he didn't leave any. So pretty ch- chilling stuff. Uh, and even more chilling is an extraordinary photograph of the Red Arrows flying across Dublin city centre with uh, Union Jack tail fins uh, across the IFSC. <laughs> literally looks like a kind of an aerial invasion but no they're just going to the Bray Air Show which is taking place this afternoon if you're going along to that they just spray I think it's kind of trails or paint I think spray generally so they don't fire anything and then in terms of AIB over on the right hand side of the Sunday Independent we've done a staff knew of AIB plans so this one has been kind of knocking backward and forward over the last few days who knew what when and where You O'Connell is saying Department of Finance officials waited four days to tell Pascal Donahue that AIB was closing cash services in 70 branches so The issue seems to be, if I'm reading this right, and some of our guests will be able to chime in on this as well, is that officials in the department may have known, but it didn't seem to percolate up to their political masters, seems to be the core um, claims there. But we'll get into that in a few minutes. Let's move back to the Business Post. Uh, Very interesting story by Michael Brennan on the right-hand side there. He says electric car grants are set to be cut on the budget as more drivers are opting for vehicles over petrol or diesel models. So what this story is essentially saying is as we, the great Irish consumers, buy electric cars, we don't need the stimulus, apparently, of a government um, grant, or tax break, you could call it, um, of €2,000 and €5,000. So, we don't need the assistance. We're happy enough to go and buy, because the sales figures would seem to indicate that. So, Eamon Ryan is going to be cutting back the level of assistance um, in the budget. Well, he's not going to be doing it, but he's certainly playing a part. Interesting little nugget of a story at the bottom page there. Estate agents accused DAF.ie of abusing its dominant position in the Market. So, this is the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers, IPAV. They have apparently made an official complaint to the um, Consumer Protection Commission saying that DAF.ie is not really funding them for certain things and is not being transparent about their pricing. And um, just to make it clear that DAF does respond and provide a quote in that story, they don't say a whole lot, but I'm sure this will be contested about who's doing what. But nevertheless, feeds into the whole property theme that we're dealing with. And finally, I just go into the business section because things are quite an interesting story of the Sunday Times business section across the top. Meta, formerly Facebook, freezes move into new Dublin HQ. Facebook owner pushes back plans for a giant new campus developed at AIB's old Bowles Bridge base, writes Linda Daly. So that would be uh, a little bit concerning for Ireland's um, tech um, hub. You also see there they say, "Are we headed for a tech winter?" On pages two and three, and a picture of Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, crinkly papers here is more crinkle. Have all the crinkle you want, and just uh, in case they accuse of leaving them out, the Daily Mail. One story on the front, they say HSE admits to failing women at most risk of cancer. Health Service admits four year delays for life saving genetic tests and vital surgery is unacceptably high, says Catherine Lawton. And uh, some of this is, of course, produced by the uh, Covid pandemic. Certain people put off operations. The Health Service, of course, overcapacity in a massive way. So that's not the only reason, but it is one part of the reason that she points out in that story. OK, I feel like she would go home now, actually. I feel exhausted mm-hmm. at getting through all those. <laughs> Who needs to go to the gym when you can lift all <laughs> these mountains of paper, which I'll now put over here and introduce our guests. So Gina London is an international communications strategist and trainer and former award-winning CNN correspondent and anchor and a, a reporter at various times and she's made her home in Ireland in the last few years so you're welcome to Ireland and welcome to the studio Gina, Thank thanks you for much. coming I'll, in Thank
2: you and i write a little column in the Sunday Independent Okay, we will, we'll get to all that, to that I got, there's yes, plenty indeed. plenty
1: of plugs to roll out during the duration <laughs> of the <laughs> programme um, and we also have Gabby uh, Gadavetsiecha who I did a good job on your name this time a little bit better Gabby, you're welcome well, you've been here plenty of times before and Gabby, as you know is the political reporter with Independent.ie so you're both very welcome Right, we've got a lot, um, Gabby, to start with. I suppose it's all about emissions, climate, environment. It's kind of almost taken up a big chunk of everything that's there. Do you want to walk through the, some of the things that you've picked out? First of all, I mean this whole issue of the emissions cuts, depending on which paper you pick up, it's 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 really a lucky dip, isn't it?
3: Yeah, the figure seems to kind of vary across all the different um papers. I think if you look at the Sunday Independent, um Agriculture Minister Charlie McConnell looks, speaking to Hugh Connell, he said that he would be you know, he could support an emissions cut that was higher than twenty two percent if you look at the business post um, they seem to have this idea of that there will be a target set that there's going to be a mid-term review maybe in 2025 and um, that they're kind of alluding to a 24% uh, target and the Sunny Times is saying that the agriculture sector could be sort of at 28% so it's it's not really clear where the government is, is, is yet on this I mean obviously I suppose different sources seem to be at sixes and sevens at this moment in time but of course as we know those bilaterals between Green Party uh, leader Raymond Ryan and Agriculture Minister Chairman McConnell are still ongoing. I mean, the interesting thing about all this is that I actually had a look at the climate action plan before we came on air. And of course, there's, you know, agriculture... Now that's, that
1: is dutiful. <laughs> that's yes. So Sunday morning reading.
3: So... This is kind of where it all starts off. It's just, just kind of refreshed your listeners' memory. So why are we talking about all these figures and what do they all actually mean? So when we had the Climate Action Plan published, I mean, the expectation was when it was came out last year that we would get set figures for every single sector, what do we have to cut our emissions by? And instead, the government came out with this range of targets for um, each sector and they would said, you know, they kicked the can down the road and they said, we're going to come back in a few months with specific targets. And that's what the negotiations that are undergoing, that's what they are now. So the other sectors that we have, yes, we have agriculture and yes, it has that, you know, that that low range of 22 to 30%. But if you look at all the other sectors, for example, electricity, our target for that is to reduce it by from sixty-two to eighty one percent. I mean that's a huge chunk um, of a reduction. A transport is supposed to be forty two to fifty percent. So even though we're hearing all of the all this talk about 22, 22 to thirty percent for agriculture Those negotiations are also ongoing for all the other sectors and we're not really hearing any talk of them at all. Um, We're not hearing as to, you know, are we actually going to reduce our electricity usage by 80%? Are we actually going to reduce transport usage by 50% in terms of carbon emissions in those sectors? And I think... um, there needs to be maybe it's a failing of the media you know in fairness because uh, no,
1: hold on a second well,
3: no I, I think <laughs> just, just to be yeah. fair because I think you know like if we are seriously to reduce carbon emissions in transport by 50% like what does that actually mean for the average day Joe soap does that mean that I, I'm giving up my second car does that mean that I'm going to get rid of the car totally and take the bus like what does do these things actually mean for, you know, everyday people? This was the whole discussion that Gabby and
2: I were having before we came on air was why are we hearing so much and seemingly almost only about the ag because sector? Because it's so big. But it's 37% of the entire Ireland, Irish emissions overall. The If you look at the whole cabbage and think about how you're going to slice that up, we hear ag, every single one of the papers today. Ag, ag, ag. What's going on? The cattle, the dairy cattle numbers have increased over the last 11 years. The emissions of the of the of the, of the of the, ag, the agriculture sector has increased over the last three years. But we haven't dug into what's going on with transportation, what's mm-hmm. going on with electricity, as Gabby said, what's going on with with buildings. When are we hearing that every single building that's being built is going to be required to have solar panels? When are we going to hear how, how Air Lingus or other transportation airlines at DAA are going to be reducing their carbon footprint, reducing how they put their emissions out when they're sitting on the tarmac for hours and hours in delays. We're not hearing the whole picture, all the different joined-up approach for all the sectors, and I think that's really what's needed, so that we don't have ag being the the convenient whipping boy mm. for all the different sectors that need to be do if need to be approached if we're really going to have a but, comprehensive but, but, well, I, well, well, climate um, action plan.
1: We're going to have Charlie McConnell on later on. Well, we're scheduled to have him on. Hopefully, he will come on. And what I'd like to ask him is because I, on I, one level, I have sympathy with him personally as a minister because he has a very strange role. One part of his ministry is to promote the beef and dairy industry. That's what he does. He goes on trade missions. He wants it to expand, grow and be more mm. economically sizable. But equally, equally is a, he's then trying to, that he's trying country. to equally yeah. make the industry effectively smaller, right? Less successful than it would otherwise be. Like there does seem to me to be a core contradiction in that. Well, there. I
3: think he would argue that we need to, I suppose, have what's called smarter farming. So what does that mean? So for example, maybe having the dairy cows out for less numbers, less for less... Months of the year, or maybe using slurry more efficiently, you know. So I suppose to reduce those carbon emissions. I mean, listen, I think it's a bit of a red herring because Eamon Ryan has made it very clear we are going to have to have a reduction in the numbers of the national herd, but that would perhaps happen naturally as opposed to a cull you know I don't think there's going to be anyone going around Um, you know this this idea of a cull I think is it's just I don't think it's it's the case at all and I think it's quite misleading and it's very scary for farmers of course to hear that but I, th- I think you are right in that Um, Minister McConnell, look, he's treading on very fine ground because of course he has to keep the farmers quote unquote happy but then also if he's landed with a target even of 20% that's still a big reduction if you talk to anybody yeah, um, in the Irish Farmers Association they'll tell you that is going to be really, really hard for us to achieve, especially if now, as a country overall, we're actually not even meeting the little targets that we have to begin with.
1: But if you go with the business post story, because as I said, there's different accounts of what's going on. I think this is interesting. because It's kind of real Irish, kick the can down the road stuff here, which is kind of like... <laughs> there'll be a shorter target in the shorter term but if other technologies come true we'll increase the target in a few years time it's all a bit kind of like let's just get over the next year before there's a camera reshuffle because Charlie McConnell might not even be in this ministry he may be he says in, in the Sunday when I mean, he wants to stay on etc yes, but yeah. this is going to be dealt with by a number of different politicians over many different years so oh. it's it's you know like we don't know who's going to be there when we don't make our targets who's going to be carrying Gina Hope- you want to come Well in? I was just
2: going to say hopefully globally whereas we ex- are experiencing around the world wreck- record heat, heat temperatures and the climate, there has to be a joined up approach. And it can't just be obviously on the agriculture sector in a small country of Ireland. It's got to have, the U.S. has got to make some real reductions. The China's got to make some real reductions. There's got to be, I, I mean, but you're right. What are we, what's going to happen in the kick the can approach? Well, we've been mm-hmm. seeing that, but yet the climate, the climatologists and the scientists tell us we have 15 years to prevent a disaster, and we're seeing what's happening already—40 degrees in London. I mean, it's just—it's time to get serious about this and not be kicking the can anymore.
1: No, and if we want to get serious, we've talked about the farming piece. Us, us, all three of us were kind of representative of the whole five I million mean, live on the island for the moment. This story in the Business Post about electric cars. Right now, right. now excuse me, because I'm, I'm not by far from a motoring expert. Right, but my understanding of what the government's plan was to get everyone out of their petrol or diesel cars get you into an electric car, which are extraordinarily expensive. I mean, if you want to get into an entry-level electric car, you're talking about forty, fifty thousand 50,000 euros, depending on the model. So they're not cheap by Irish standards. I leave you out of this, Gina, because US cars can be mega bucks, right, because of the size of them. But in terms of electric cars, we were told this was the policy. Now we're being told if you look at page 1 of the business post that we're going to be clawing back some of these concessions so a bit of mixed signal that's i would say that's exactly
2: what i was going to say the mixed messaging around on one hand we've got all the emphasis being put on the on the agriculture sector and what is going to do but then on the other hand you've got the electric car incentives are now being slashed so if you've got that as not everybody can afford a 60,000 euro electric car. I, frankly, as an American, I don't have one yet. I'd love to, but I was looking forward to finding a way to do that incentivization. And now if that's going to be slashed, I think that's prohibitive. Even though the numbers are increasing of how they're buying them, I'd love to see the demographics mm-hmm. of who's who's buying them and what the percentage of, of it is. And I think, again, having a joined-up approach on how you're incentivizing and encouraging people to be, and your sectors, to be representative of the emissions that are, that are being not just suggested, but required, would be something to keep that in, in in stake.
1: Gabby, at this story by Michael Brennan, I don't know whether Pascal, don't know who's been told that this is happening in his budget <laughs> or not. Uh, Eamon Ryan seems to be very definitive. This is going to be in there in some form. It's essentially yeah. kind of making it less attractive to make the switch.
3: Yeah, he's told car dealers that the government will reduce the grants in September in the September budget. If you look at I think G- Gina saw right. You know, if you're spending forty to six thousand a car, there's only a very set percentage of people that can do that. Who are who are making a lot of money? Who probably you know hopefully they have a mortgage, that they're sort of, you know, these are people that are really on high incomes. And we're talking about the cost of living crisis. We're talking about people that are unable to pay their rent. We're talking about people who are unable to put food on the table. I mean, the very last thing that they're thinking about anyway is probably buying a new car being be an electric car and if you are um reducing those grants it's going to make it even more difficult for them to um to do that make that switch and I think again if you look at the climate action plan I think wasn't it we were supposed to have half a million was it electric cars on the road by 2030 so I really don't see how how we're going to get there if you look at other European countries where the grants are actually, you know, incredibly high and nearly every car on the road is, is an electric car. That's surely the way we should be heading um as well. But, you know, I think it's I think it's I think it's well, a my it's, own it's a good little story, uh, but my only little personal vox
1: pop. Um I was getting my own N C T done last week. So I got told to various people waiting, right? That's impressive. I was I, I was yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> revealing September. all here, okay. I was getting an N C T done and I was good talking to people standing in the place where it was going on and a lot of them they're just ordinary you know, middle class, working class people standing Mm. there. And they said, I'm going to keep driving this till it just falls apart because I can't currently afford to make the switch. So why would I do it now? Forget right or wrong, that's what I got. Right. Six six or seven people mm-hmm. that I talked to, why are you here? Why are you getting an NCT? Why not get a new car? You could stop getting an NCT, right, if you get a newer mm-hmm. model. And they were just like, I'm just going to keep going, keep going, pay the various maintenance charges and hopefully the electric cars will be cheaper in three or four years' time. That is a massive mm-hmm. amount of people out there. Right. I don't I don't speak for either of you no, now. But if absolutely, you're in that boat, when
2: you're but. looking at inflation go, is going up and your electricity going up in the autumn and you've got all these types of expenditures that like the average working family is very concerned about the last thing on your list of things that you must have is a new car because you're thinking about what you need to have and so without an incentivization, and of course the price is already prohibitive then you're just not going to be seeing those numbers increase in terms of purchasing electric cars as you would want and again to meet those overall targets of reducing emissions
3: but i think this is why people in rural ireland have this view of the green party they're talking about electric cars that are costing 50 you know 40 50 euro but yes they're talking about cutting grants to be able to make it easier for you to buy those cars to talk about retrofitting if you're going to do a full deep retrofit of your house you need at least twenty 000 euro up front you know this is why people in rural ireland have this view of the green parties for a very certain kind of person who's maybe upper class um, who has the money to spare. But who who unfortunately, can afford to be green. Who can afford to be green. But unfortunately, unless we make it affordable, you know, cheaper for people and incentivize it in some way, like how, what is the point of talking about our carbon emissions when we're not making it any easier for people to cut down on their own emissions?
1: No, and that's the farmers, now I know nothing, won't come to any listener's surprise, I know nothing about anaerobic digesters, okay? I just want to say that. But this <laughs> is the great technology or one of them that's apparently going to save farming that it can make the emission cuts, but oh. do it in a sort of a way. But they're usually expensive. They're like the electric cars of mm-hmm. the farming industry. So that that's going to be something that we. And the technology, in some ways, is still a little bit un, unproven in well, terms finding of finding a it can way do. to
2: incentivize those emissions yeah, so that will be helping farmers. Be are we going to pay for yes. a lot of yes. these things? Let, let me bring consider.
1: in. Um, let me bring in a third guest who who knows a little bit more than I do about any of this, and that's Cara Gustenberg. She's an assistant professor. Landscape Studies and Environment Policy at UCD, and she's also a member of Ireland's Climate Change Advisory Council and a a regular broadcaster on this station. Uh, Cara, good morning to you, first of all. Welcome to On The Record. Good morning, Emmett. You've been hearing some of our conversation, Gina and Gabby as well. Um, What do you think of what you're seeing? You're seeing commitments to uh, emission reductions in the agriculture sector. It's very vague. The figures seem to be moving around. We're told there's tense talks taking place. Does this fill you with gloom or do you think, no, I'm a bit more positive they'll get there eventually?
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting listening to your discussion on on why agriculture is being featured so prominently and and maybe the other sectors aren't being discussed as much. And that's really because the other sectors have already agreed to the most ambitious end of the scale for their targets. So they've said they're willing to do as much as they possibly can to to reach those emissions targets, whereas agriculture has been the big holdout. They're saying we're only willing to do the lower end of that target, that 22 percent. And unfortunately, if agriculture doesn't raise their ambition, it makes it impossible for the other sectors to actually to take that excess and do more. They can't possibly do more. It means potentially taking another 500,000 cars off the road or potentially shutting down all cement factories, but it makes their tar- targets impossible. So that is why we're hearing so much discussion about agriculture right now, because if they don't do more than what they're currently agreeing to, then it, it really calls into question the entire process and the ability to meet our targets.
1: Now, Cara, are you convinced by these new technologies technology solutions that are being mentioned in agriculture that can kind of get us there less pain up front you get these various anaerobic digesters you get methane feed additives i mean stuff that i think most of us who aren't in agriculture might not know a whole lot about but we're being told by the politicians and some of the people around them that these technologies if introduced and implemented correctly could kind of get us to the target with less upfront pain i mean do you buy that or do you think this is it's just not going to happen in the longer term it's not going to be that relevant they're unproven etc
0: yeah, I'm actually on the advisory committee of the, the big flagship environmental research project that Chagas does called Signposts, where they've got um, 100 demonstration farms that are all trying to do these smaller initiatives and get their emissions down. And, and they've got a year of data now, and they're showing that on the farm, if you make some small changes like uh, mixed swards, mixed species swards, and uh, using a different type of fertilizer, protected urea, and spreading your slurry in a different way, you can actually reduce emissions on a farm by by 15 to 20 percent. So there are things we can do to reduce emissions that don't require that, you know, the big technological changes that you're talking about. But what we're missing right now is a, a sense of leadership and system change from the agricultural sector to, to reach those larger targets. So, you know, we should be talking about things like maybe cap and trade of, of methane, that, that maybe we allow farmers to trade methane as a as a commodity so that bigger farmers can continue to emit what they want and smaller farmers maybe are willing to take on other other types of enterprises, maybe do more in, in the areas of land use and peatland rewetting or, or soil rewetting uh, to kind of become farmers or stewards of the land instead of necessarily always expanding their livestock herd. Um, so we're not looking, we're not seeing leadership from the agricultural sector on how to make those bigger changes to reach the targets.
1: So when the minister says, you know, we if we use these technologies, we can kind of get there in a few years time and let's keep the targets reasonably modest until then. And then these technologies will start kicking in. I mean, is that the
0: right way to go? Well, I think we need to ask Minister McConlogue McCallin- a, a, a tough question, which is: Does he actually support the overall targets that he voted for? I mean, the the, the carbon budgets and the 51% target were were put into effect when this government uh, took power in 2020, and it's now become legislation. and And this is something that all politicians said they supported, and now suddenly, when it comes to the crunch time of actually agreeing for the sectors to meet those targets, we're we're hearing a different kind of narrative coming from ministers like Charlie McConalogue. So does he support this? And, and is he willing to ensure that agriculture is going to do enough so that the other sectors uh, can actually achieve their targets too? And and that's the big question that needs to be asked of all politicians who supported this legislation.
1: Can I get your reaction as well? Again, these are stories I'm just throwing at you, so apologies for you. You probably had a nice relaxing Sunday morning plan. But uh, the business post saying electric car grants to be cut in budget amid rising costs from higher sales. Are you surprised to see them kind of clawing back the assistance in that area? Would that be a surprise to you?
0: Um, it's a little early, but I, I will say one thing. There's a bit of myth-busting that needs to be done here, which is that electric vehicles are not necessarily mega expensive, unless maybe you're going for something like a Tesla. But um, a new electric vehicle right now, there are ones going for around €30,000 or less. Now, that's still a lot that's of money. That's still mostly. pretty steep. Yeah, absolutely. It is. But, um, but Gabby is not, to, not
1: convinced here in the studio about that
0: 30000 Gabby? Com- yeah, compared to you know, like for a new car. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's the same thing as a petrol car. Compared to a petrol car, there are, you know new petrol cars are, are coming in at similar prices. And when you look at an electric car over its lifetime, say over ten years, it's far cheaper, obviously, because the petrol and the maintenance costs aren't aren't there in the same way as a combustion engine. So we will eventually have to, to stop subsidizing electric vehicles because the plan in Europe is that by 2035 you won't be able to buy any new combustion engines anymore. You will only be able to buy electric vehicles. So we obviously can't subsidize everybody every time they want to buy a new car. However, I I am concerned by the fact that we have a target of having nearly a million electric vehicles on the roads in Ireland by 2030. So perhaps it's a bit premature to be, you know, removing those subsidies at this stage when we only have about 47,000 electric vehicles on the road. So we're far from achieving yeah, that well, target.
1: I, mean, I, I I can't see any danger of overstimulating things at this stage. I mean, maybe yeah. down the line, you're and right. a
2: phase-back approach would be different than, yeah. a, than a completely, completely cutting. But also, as you cutting. said, a lot
1: of this is signalling carries, and not it, as well, where, you know, not everyone's going to read the full story here, but they're going could take the general message away that, oh, electric cars switching over is going to become less attractive, you know. I mean, that's yeah. that, that's a problem. My, I mean,
0: it? my own feeling has always been, I don't understand if you're in the privileged position right now of being able to buy a new car and at this stage you're still buying a big petrol or diesel engine, there should be a syntax for, for, for doing that because we know that that's in direct contradiction of our climate targets. So, you know, I would rather see those petrol cars becoming more expensive, you know, than, than these continued subsidies of electric vehicles. I To me, that makes that makes more sense.
1: Uh, anyone in the studio want to talk about it? Anyone want to be uh, syntaxed? I, mean,
3: I think it's interesting, you know, I suppose even if you're saying okay it's 30,000 euro for a new electric car and you know a a new petrol car is 30,000 euro also but I don't know if people are buying new cars like especially with the cost of living crisis we're hearing that even second hand cars have gotten extremely expensive now so you know I think if people are buying a car I think there's only as you say you know those rightly privileged people who who, who luckily have the money but I think the vast majority of people don't have the money and I think if you are looking at buying a second hand electric vehicle there's often I think people are probably worried about the battery might not be as good um, you know you know, concerns like that. So I think if, if you do want to try and get as many electric cars on the road, certainly for the time being, um, I think it is important to give those people an extra little bit of help, especially with the cost of living crisis that we're seeing now.
1: OK, listen, Cara, thank you very much for, for coming on the line this uh, busy Sunday morning. Thank you very much. She's an assistant professor at UCD and member of Ireland's Climate Change Advisory Council. There's actually so many climate stories in this morning papers. I'm thinking of proposing a suggestion to News Talk management to have a, a separate paper review for climate stories because this the year, weight and amount of them is, is staggering. So good luck to you readers getting through them. Now, I thought on a Thursday or sorry, on a Sunday morning, you'd all be very tranquil, very chilled. But looking at your text on climate change, whoa, oh. you are riled up. <laughs> You are riled up. Anyone who's going to the match later on, I hope you get rid of all this sort of nervous energy before you go to Crow Park. There's stuff flying around about this issue. Let me take a few of them. A Reynolds Zoe is not much to use are not much used to a family in rural Ireland with no other means of transport. The Greens and the Dublin 4 set need to get real. Take away subsidy that's already been agreed by the well-off making it even harder for the general population to buy one of these electric cars. The mind boggles. We have Andrew saying you cannot magic away electric cars and make them cheaper in the same way that the cost of living crisis can't be magicked away. If you're earning less than 30,000 euros green driving will not be affordable for a long time despite political promises says Andrew and let me go get one more in before we go back to our panel Ireland is not doing a whole lot um, of cost accounting on our carbon emissions manufactured goods and raw materials produced abroad are not counted when those products are consumed Mm. in Ireland Interesting. This has distorted the analysis of emissions. It makes agriculture look like a greater proportion of carbon emissions than it actually is. It means that all the energy intense activities will move to emerging countries over time. We're simply moving the problem around at great cost, not solving it. Which sounds like, Gina, you texted that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that <laughs> was it picking been, up was your point from on earlier on, before, right? during the break. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you did pop out the door there for a second. It just like it <laughs> I it didn't. It was know. picking up your point. I uh, was me just, just to just write down the cash. <laughs> the cash machine. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, yes.
2: So I can. So I can almost afford to buy an electric car. <laughs> you
1: got to have a few wins. you got to have a few wins, okay? Uh, let me just introduce those voices you're hearing. We have Gina London who is an international communications strategist, does a column with the Sunday Independent which I completely badly mentioned or did not mention earlier on. She's also a Ford more award-winning CNN correspondent and anchor. And we also have Gabby Gatavets-Gata is a regular uh, panellist here. She is also the political reporter with the Independent. You're both uh, welcome back into the studio. Let's have another look at one of our headlines which is about banking Um, Gabby I'll go to you first because this this is a political uh, dimension directly who knew what when and where seems Mm. to be everyone seems to have cooled off about the actual idea of these cashless banks but we were told during the week and ministers come out and said we knew nothing about this we weren't informed this is dreadful blindsided Blindsided, Mm. just kind of like this is dreadful stuff by IB Colin Hunt the CEO was kind of dragged over the coals he had a rough week from a Mm. PR point of view but the story is slightly sort of crinkling around the edges about who knew what and where, if you look at some of the accounts in the today's papers.
3: Yeah, it turns out they didn't know because their own officials didn't tell them. So um, we did see government ministers coming out during the week. We had um, a report in the Irish Independent that Pascal Donoghue didn't, that he was blindsided by it. Sean Fleming was on the airwaves the day later saying he didn't know this was happening, that AIB had made this decision to remove uh, cash from 70 of its branches, 70 of the branches go cashless. And then we had a story at the weekend saying that, um, you know, actually government was briefed, you know, a few days and a few weeks in advance. That the, you know, AIB was looking to do this. Um, and we have a story today in the Sunday Independent saying that actually it was uh, Pascal Lutter whose officials that knew so then they waited for about four days to tell him so I understand that there was a meeting on, on Friday, um, you know, th- this was the Friday before the announcement. Um, there was an embargoed press release that was sent to an official in the Department of Finance on the Monday. Um, the email was not shared with the minister. I think it was only the day after that the minister was notified, sort of, just as the announcement was about to be made by AIB. So it seems to be this conundrum of... If AIB tell officials in the Department of Finance, is that the same thing as telling the minister or no? I mean, if I'm to look at it from a point of view of, if I get, you know, an email as somebody who works in the Irish Independent and it's to do with the Irish Independent, for example, God forbid, you know, it's some sort of a legal issue, immediately, that's a big issue for me, so I will forward Escalate. it on to, or forward it on to my superiors. I mean, it's not very difficult to forward on an email. But it seems to be within the Department of Finance that if you tell the officials... That does not necessarily mean that you're telling the minister, even though the minister is really their boss. So and did
1: we have something similar? And I don't want to make specious connections, but did we have this with Robert Watt a few months ago where various people weren't told things in the Department of Health? So it mean, mm. seems to be this thing about officials going backward and forward. And also your own paper, if I, again, if I'm not mistaken, made it very interesting that one of the officials was actually at an AIB board meeting mm. sitting in, which in itself is interesting. So did that person not just go back to the office and say, oh, wait till you hear what they're going to do next?
3: Yeah, a, a spokesperson for the minister, is, is, for Pascal Luna who's saying today that, you know, I suppose the officials maybe kind of underestimated a little bit um, what the announcement would mean. But again, it's this sort of idea of, you know, it's this permanent government that does a lot of the work within government, the civil servants. And then ministers are sort of told, I don't know, it's an interesting story because Pascal Luna has been a minister for a very long time and he's seen as a very capable hand capable pair of hands within government. So it's interesting that it seems to be down to a miscommunications issue. I, was- I will also say that there is some of the staff um, are on leave this week. So perhaps maybe that's where it all kind of went a little bit wrong. But it just seems to be very uncharacteristic of something like this to happen within the Department of Finance. I want to
2: pick up the word that, that you just well, said. We have yeah, a communications yeah. expert communications, in studio. Communications, communications. <laughs> yeah. When I first moved to this country, it was all about the water charges mm. and the miscommunications debacle that ended up everybody up in arms. Government had to throw up their hands and off we go back to where we are today. Similarly, and I full disclosure, I'm a, my company and my personal accounts are with AIB, so God love AIB, but whatever, if you are going to make a big decision of the magnitude that it is to 70 70 branches, especially those in rural areas where people are not cashless... You've got to think about the impact of that message. You've got to... Colin should have picked up the phone to Pascal. Those, it's a small enough country. Mm. You all know each other. And just call him and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? What's our rollout? What's our message plan? What's the impact? How do we do this? How do we inoculate people? How do we get people off... cash?" I mean, I was in 2019 for almost the whole year working with Absolute Company in, 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 in Sweden, in, in Stockholm. Cashless society. I mean, you can't even go and buy some sweets, which I was going to do for like the equivalent of a euro over there at a little kiosk for my daughter to bring back. And you cannot pay with cash. Full stop. Every taxi, cashless. Here in Dublin, where I live, just last night, coming home from friends in our neighborhoods, had their birthdays, and we all went out to a restaurant, trying to get into a taxi to go back home to to where I live. They wouldn't take a card. They wouldn't be cashless. So we are not a cashless society here yet. Get things in an order. Get the communications in an order. Do it in a campaign kind of rollout plan. That's the critical thinking about communications isn't the last step in the strategy. It's the first. What's
1: strange about this one is, as we all know, we've all been involved in commercial things over the years you don't just do this overnight. You don't just suddenly say 70 brands. So mm. That's this would point. have been months That's in my gestation. Point. It's the, the, the so communications
2: I, aspect of this strategy I don't think to be if, in if, the if, first if, position. If government
1: officials are going to board meetings, which, as I said, is quite extraordinary, really, mm. uh, and remarkable, like, it's not as if this would have been the first they've ever heard of it. Correct. Like, would you not go back to the minister or whoever's head of the financial division that manages the relationship with these Your banks boss. and say, yeah, and say, uh, just thought I might mention what they're <laughs> currently planning. Like, would that not be just really basic common sense
3: yeah i mean surely you go back and you say okay maybe not to the minister but whoever you're again, you know, is above you and you say, I went to this meeting, this is what came out of the meeting, just to let you guys know this is what AIB had planned to do. Now, I will agree with Gina that, you know, it is very easy to pick up the phone to the minister um, and to say, look, this is what we're doing, just thought I'd let you know. But not it's- even but not even
2: this is what we're doing, So with the mm. list, this is what we're thinking of doing, to your point, Emmett, months ago, here's the plan, what's the impact, how do we get in alignment with this, because AIB's got regulatory issues related to the government, it should have been a cooperative, a, a well, it, the Department of Finance will tell
3: you that because he's a majority stakeholder, he can't be involved in any corporate decision. Okay, so not
2: a decision, but at least in terms yeah. of like, here's the here's what we're planning. What are mm. your thoughts? Maybe not an advisory or an approval way. And your points well taken, Gabby. Mm. But the idea that it shouldn't have been a hey, last com This is what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. They should have floated no, the, and also a, and it's an idea at least at some a point. A word,
1: a word about Bank of Ireland. They closed a hundred branches a few months ago, mm. but they got it like it wasn't as big an issue. Mm-hmm. They're selling them off, and and maybe that was handled. Differently, I don't know. Maybe the minister was told about that one. But if you're in Bank of Orange, you're saying, Whoa, we closed 100 branches, kind of got away with AIB, you're saying, we, we tried to go this and we have come a cropper, because they've had to U-turn
2: the one. Well, uh, the good news, sorry, one, one, one quick thing. The thing I, I will say, in support of like, okay, there's been a misstep in communications here, however we want to spin it, and we don't know all the details, to be fair. But what I do think is impressive about AAB is that they didn't dig in, they in, my my line here is is don't defend, amend. And they've amended, and they're going back to now thinking about what's a better plan, and how are we going to softly, softly inoculate people mm-hmm. around this. And, it's gonna, and we were talking before we went on air, that, that this is going to happen. I mean, eventually we will mm-hmm. be captured But it's
1: now a red flag issue. So people like Gabby are now going, oh, that's a big story. We'll come back to this <laughs> again. So it's like something that might have just whistled by in the financial sector is now big news, right? So you, people like yourself yeah. will be watching this and in, in political implications.
3: Well, I think the understanding within government is that AIB has paused not, sorry not pause but totally reverse this decision so it's not going to happen but I think well, again, we'll eventually I can. Okay, I think Gina you're right like eventually it will happen eventually we will be a cashless society but, but eventually all taxis
2: <clears> in Dublin <throat> will take cars that will and never ev-
3: happen <laughs> ever, and eventually, ever and eventually we will have enough taxis in Dublin fingers crossed
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not getting into the taxi thing okay we, <laughs> you know you know what happens on radio programs when the word taxi is mentioned we get <laughs> engulfed by outrage about <laughs> various things we have a panel here to review weighty papers that have been very climate influenced Gina London is an international communications strategist and former CNN anchor and reporter. She's going to be talking to us about American matters in a few seconds, even though she doesn't know it yet. I also have (laughs) Gabby Gadovetsketa is here. She is the political reporter with The Independent. Now, Gina... Donald Trump, it's just uh, another Sunday where he's predominating huge images of him. He's saying in the Sunday Times he's persecuted by the Democrats, he's persecuted by the legal system and he's persecuted by Congress. Uh, Steve Bannon, of course, was convicted during the week. I mean, this psychodrama, psycho <laughs> you, you've moved from the United States. It's followed you over. We're almost at the back end or the middle part, I suppose, of the Biden presidency. We've got congressional elections in November, but we cannot escape this New York property mogul. He just seems to be like Banquo's ghost. Uh, won't go away. <laughs> Well,
2: gosh, you just unloaded a lot of different topics there. Thanks. Which one shall I choose from the tree of plenty? Um, I've set it up a tree. You You've got your choices. Thank you very much. Okay, so Thursday was the last of the January sixth hearings in prime time and of the Select Committee, as they went over what they the over three hours, the one eight hundred eighty seven minutes of of inactivity of the former president during the insurrection at the Capitol, and it was so significant to watch. Again, this continues to unfold in a timeline that's not really been put out before. So so interestingly, when these hearings were all being announced originally, a lot of the pundits, myself included, thought this is going to be not well done. It won't have the impact that people might change their mind or might be talking about it. But actually, they've been very well produced, and I know they've had TV production people that have helped them, which is a good thing because that's the way people digest news these days. And it is done in a very compelling narrative type of way. So there hasn't, again, it's not, it's a court of public opinion. It doesn't have any teeth in terms of what can happen, as you're saying, to try that former president. But it is putting a narrative out there. And they are going to be taking their recommendations after they come back from the summer holiday in September and continue to have potentially more more um, hearings, uh, public hearings, which will be interesting because one of the last things that was said as of Thursday by Liz Cheney, of course, the pariah Republican now, but still a Republican member of that committee, that there are more and more and more people who are coming forward. And as you just touched on, now that you've had someone, the presidential advisor, Steve Bannon, who had initially said, I'm not going to talk to the committee, then get subpoenaed or then get indicted by the Department of Justice and then actually be held accountable by being convicted on two counts of contempt of Congress, and potentially facing, when he gets sentenced in September, up to two years in, in jail. Now it becomes a little more serious to those people like Mark Meadows, the former Chief of Staff of the White House under Trump, who was saying, I'm also not going to talk to the committee. So it, we may still see more things happen. And even though it's a glacial pace that the Department of Justice has been going in its proceedings, as it's been investigating what happened on January 6th. There still is, and also this past week, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, when he said that no one is above the law and the reporter pressed him even a former president and he said again no one you, is above the law okay, so I these don't are all know interesting developments not see but do you think that, that happen.
1: Um, Democrats watch this stuff. They say, "Oh, this is this little, as you say, glacial. There's a little movement here, and somebody got criticised here." But presumably, Republicans, a lot of whom have tuned out of this right from the start, they don't agree with the hearings anyway. So, in other words, if you're a Trump supporter, has anything come out of this whole process that's going to be make you less of a supporter of Donald Trump? That's to me, that would seem two to be kind things. Of
2: two things. Okay, so we've got the the uh, Georgia that is also going for its. It's got a case against Donald Trump and, and his cronies for their election tampering potentially. New York's also got cases going on. So there's the there's the slow arm of the of legalities going on. Your point though about the Trump supporters, let's talk about voters. Midterm elections are coming up. The interesting polling that's that's come out is around suburban women. They were the big swing vote for Trump in in the last ele- in the last. 2016 election, where he where he won. And they are also being impacted by this overturning of Roe v. Wade. So will that be enough to potentially make some differences in the Senate races and the governor races in the U.S. in the midterm? Watch those. Well, that's what we're going to see. And if it does, then that could also be potentially an impact on Donald Trump's running and if he actually comes through and makes it out of the pack as the candidate in 2024.
1: Now, Gabia, you were in Washington earlier this year. Unfortunately, you were there to <laughs> cover the T-shirt who got COVID and was basically stuck in a the room then for several days. So mm-hmm. it wasn't your normal. I mean, as somebody who is on this side of the Atlantic, are you amazed that the Trump phenomenon just keeps going and going? That Like we have President Biden, but in terms of column inches, I'd say Trump, certainly if you take this weekend as an unrepresentative sample, he gets a lot more column inches than the actual sitting president.
3: He does, yeah, I think because he was such a remarkable president in that, you know, he came out and he was so sort of flamboyant in many ways and he said, I'm going to drain the swamp and he has this Unbelievable cultish following, almost, and um, that persevere with him. For example, myself, I've, I've I've kind of fallen to the Trumpisms. You know, over the past week, I've spent reading about Ivana Trump and who she was, and of course, she 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 died. Um, I think it was about two weeks ago now, and her funeral took place there a few days ago, and all the Trumps rolled up. Um, you know, to go to her funeral, and the coffin was sort of. <laughs> You know, it had gold, handled, gold, coffin, gold, yeah, gold, gold handles. Gold Gold handles. And it was incredible to read about her. And it was incredible to read about um, her and Donald's rise in New York in the 80s, how she used to go out and she used to, um, I suppose, market this name of Trump. She came up with that moniker, the Donald. And she was this very, very strong woman coming from um, a red curtain, you know, Czechoslovakia. And she wanted to make it big in New York and she did and she wore all these beautiful, luxurious furs. And, you know, and I think that's, it's that Trump brand that I think really mesmerized people. He came off um, being like a showbiz TV personality, so people knew him to begin with as a household name. There was always murmurings of him running for the White House, um, even when he was still married to Ivana. And eventually he did and he had these big promises and I think people really believed him that he was going to be, you know, somebody who would really do a lot of good. And I think if you talk to some of his very loyal followers, they would say that, you know, he still is the president and the election was sold and so on. But I think he was far more impactful in terms of the global stage because he was such an unusual character when you compare him with Joe Biden. Well,
1: it, it feels like there's going to be one more act in the drama. I know Rick DeSantis down in Florida is sort of getting a bit of a, a bit of um, coverage as well, but it just feels wow. that we're going to be back to Biden-Trump again, mm-hmm. even though nobody had predicted that. Let me stick with matters US. Uh, probably just going to be a brief mention of this because we're a bit tight on time, but Gina, story of the f- business section um, of the Sunday Times, talking about Facebook, formerly known as Facebook, now known as Meta, uh, scaling back a little bit of their expansion in Dublin or potentially so, they have paused the fit out of a new development in Dublin as they re-evaluate their real estate requirements globally. Now, is this a global story or an Irish story? Well, it's, it's
2: a little bit of both. And actually, my, my fellow columnist over in the Independent, Adrian Weckler, also writes about this in the, in the Sunday in, in the Sindow because we've got the Irish tech hub that it's very proud of and and should be with all the different European headquarters of of Google and and Meta and and Twitter and, and the different companies. And there's a lot of freezing in terms of hiring and areas of innovation that are being scaled back and what is an indicator of and what does this mean for Dublin and Ireland in particular, but also on the global area, what does it mean for the types of innovations and the type of employees and what is happening in the tech sector and so I think it is a very interesting couple of stories I think it's a very interesting development especially when you've got economies that are depending and looking forward to increased growth here in Ireland and then what happens when, on one hand, you've got TikTok that's still going forward on its pledge of thousands of new employees, but then you've got, on the other hand, Meta now saying that we're we're stopping and Google saying we're stopping. And what does that mean in terms of employment and looking forward to the future of we're coming out of pandemic? It's it's concern.
1: Yeah, Gabby, I mean, an interesting statistics buried further down. It says they have 135 jobs currently advertised for its Irish site on the website nearly 40 of those can be done remotely. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what the independent are doing, but I mean, a lot of companies seem to be there's a whole range of hybrid work from home, work in the office. Yeah there isn't sort of one model that's kind of emerging victorious out of all this is there really? yeah
3: look it's this post pandemic working from home especially for you know those those tech jobs that you can really solve of your work is on the laptop um, and 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 if, if employees choose so they can easily do so from home I think some of the younger employees and um, it's just known for myself and my own friends I think we would prefer to go into the office because you prefer to meet people would you like to go in today to on make the connections <laughs> um, actually I, you I, I are I don't mind <laughs> sometimes yeah like I, I am working today I'll be working from home today but you know I, I know my personally I love going in and meeting colleagues you know you're forming those relationships there's a lot that you can learn from your um older and more experienced colleagues of course too so you know I I think it's it's interesting that but I think I think you're right in that it's a hybrid model, but there doesn't seem to be one blanket. Everybody works from home or everybody's in the office. It seems Absolutely. to be really one well, from a head
2: count people. and a tax count, it's going to be interesting right. if you're working from home and some more remote. OK, well, you can both
1: go into the office now. I'm giving you a full <laughs> licence to head in there on a, Sunday, a sunny Sunday afternoon. Thank you very much for Gabby. She's with the Irish Independent and she's going to be working there uh, maybe later on. I don't know. We won't ask her. And Gina London, who is an international communications expert. Both of you, thank you very much for coming in
0: on the record with Gavin Riley brought to you by PwC
3: Sunday morning at 11 on News Talk